0: In the fall of 1995, after resigning from my last academic post, I decided to indulge myself and fulfill a dream. I chose seven of my best and most committed students and invited them to come to my home every Thursday morning to discuss literature. They were all women. To teach a mixed class in the privacy of my home was too risky, even if we were discussing harmless works of fiction. One persistent male student, although barred from our class, insisted on his rights, so he, Nima, read the assigned material, and on special days he would come to my house to talk about the books we were reading. I often teasingly reminded my students of Muriel Sparks, the prime of Miss Jean Brodie, and asked, which one of you will finally betray me? for I am a pessimist by nature, and I was sure at least one would turn against me. Nasreen once responded mischievously, You yourself told us that in the final analysis, we are our own betrayers, playing Judas to our own Christ. Mana pointed out that I was no Miss Brodie, and they, well, they were what they were. She reminded me of a warning I was fond of repeating, do not, under any circumstances, belittle a work of fiction by trying to turn it into a cabin copy of real life. What we search for in fiction is not so much reality, but the epiphany of truth. Yet I suppose that if I were to go against my own recommendation and choose a work of fiction that would most resonate with our lives in the Islamic Republic of Iran, it would not be the prime of Miss Jean Brody, or even 1984, but perhaps Nabokov's invitation to a beheading, or better yet, Lolita. A couple of years after we had begun our Thursday morning seminars, On the last night I was in Tehran, a few friends and students came to say goodbye and to help me pack. When we had deprived the house of all its items, when the objects had vanished and the colors had faded into eight gray suitcases like errant genies evaporating into their bottles, my students and I stood against the bare white wall of the dining room and took two photographs. I have the two photographs in front of me now. In the first, there are seven women, standing against a white wall. They are, according to the law of the land, dressed in black robes and headscarves, covered except for the oval of their faces and their hands. In the second photograph, the same group, in the same position, stands against the same wall. Only they have taken off their coverings. Splashes of color separate one from the next. Each has become distinct through the color and style of her clothes, the color and the length of her hair. Not even the two who are still wearing their headscarves look the same. The one to the far right in the second photograph is our poet, Mana, in a white T-shirt and jeans. She made poetry out of things most people cast aside. The photograph does not reflect the peculiar opacity of Mana's dark eyes, a testament to her withdrawn and private nature. Next to Mana is Mahshid, whose long black scarf clashes with her delicate features and retreating smile. Mahshid was good at many things, but she had a certain daintiness about her, and we took to calling her my lady. Nasrin used to say that more than defining Mahshid, we had managed to add another dimension to the word lady. Mahshid is very sensitive. She's like porcelain, Yasin once told me, easy to crack. That's why she appears fragile to those who don't know her too well. But woe to whoever offends her.